Jesus said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. And for this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So I wanted to start off by saying something that I've known for about six weeks after getting to know him, and that is that, that John Burroughs is a genius. He's absolutely a genius, and, um, and I truly do mean that. Uh, he's also my boss, so I really do mean that. Um, <laughs> so. Um, about six weeks ago, we were setting up the rota, the preaching rota, who would preach when, and he said, why don't you preach Pentecost and then the Sunday after? And I was like, wow, that's very gracious. You know, usually a rector wants to preach on feast days, and I was like, that's awesome. And so he, he gave me this Sunday, and he gave me next Sunday, which is Trinity Sunday, which I could really do without, but there it is. I've got it. And um, so I was really excited, and I was ill this week. I was sick and home for a couple days with sinus stuff and was listening to sermons from our wonderful presiding bishop. I listened to about 16 of them, really, literally about 16 of them, and I found myself being profoundly depressed. Um, and then yesterday, I watched the royal wedding like so many of us and watched him preach, and I'm sitting there, and it occurs to me, they say 1.9 billion people are, are watching this sermon right now, and he's on fire. And I went, John Burr. 
I have to follow that. So <laughs> it's hard to follow. Although I will say, luckily for me, he headed slightly in a direction I was going to head, so I can ride part of his coattails just a little bit. The reading from Acts, which was extraordinary this morning with so many languages, um, is a reading that I've always loved uh, very, very dearly. In fact, I wrote um, my, my master's thesis on that particular reading. So most of my time in seminary was concentrated on that particular piece of Scripture, Acts 2 in its entirety, actually. And <clears throat> one thing that I've often talked about is that we see a movement in the church born out of extraordinary acts, a, a fire that appears in the way of tongues on people's heads, people in speaking in different languages, uh, not of their own, uh, even dead languages. Luke throws in a nice trick there and says uh, Elamites, Medes, um, Sumerians, Samaritans. Those people, these people had not existed in 4,000 years, and all of a sudden they're thrown into the, to the reading. And then it goes forward, and the next thing you have is you have Peter, the bumbling sort of apostle who denies Christ three times, stand up and preach this sermon, this mighty sermon in front of everyone. And at the end of it, we don't get the end of it today, but at the end of the sermon, you should go home and read it because the people turn to themselves in the streets and they say, brothers, what should we do? Because they're cut to the heart, it says. They're cut to the heart. Now, nobody ever says that when I preach, so there it is. Um, so the extraordinary bit about this is, is that moving forward from there, the apostles begin to spread out and give birth and move into other areas to the church, raising up new people. And whenever they go into these villages, into these places, they will come in and they'll say, uh, oh, these people have been baptized, but you haven't received the Holy Spirit, have you? And they said, no, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And so, they'll either baptize them again in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or they'll lay hands on them, and then they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And it occurred to me, as it has on many occasions, it happens six distinct times in the book of Acts, um, and some of them are really, really good stories, and it happens with Paul, with Peter, with Andrew, John, Jacob, and James um, on several, as I said, several different occasions, and Simon also. And so, um, what I wondered always is what is it that people see, what is it they saw when they looked at people and said, you haven't received the Holy Spirit, have you? And they said, no. What does that look like all of a sudden? What's the difference? And I've always wondered about the equation. I can't find the four and the two plus two in that. What is it that they saw? And it occurred to me in listening to our presiding bishop's sermons this week and also his sermon yesterday that I believe what they recognized was that they had not had love, love being that central core message. And the way that we know that is the text that backs it up. The text that follows Acts are all the letters and epistles of Paul, and every time it's to these churches. And whenever they go into these churches in Acts, there's always a faction of somebody that's arguing about something. Uh, meat sacrifice to idols, following Jewish customs, um, worshiping false gods, 
um, circumcision versus uncircumcision. And it's very ugly in every faction, every church, there's an issue. In fact, in the church in Galatia, I think Paul was literally ready to go there and just burn it to the ground and start over from scratch. It's so terse. It's so bad. They had not learned, and they had not received the Spirit, and they had not been given that love yet, that love of God that love that changes the world. As we were told in 1 John, God is love. And so every essence of that comes from there. And I think that when they go into these villages, that's what they recognize. Oh, you're not quite there yet. Get it. Here, let me give it to you. And what concerns me even more today is that our world seems to be heading in the same direction. It seems to be without that love. We are more divisive than we've ever been. We are more polarized than we've ever been. We've never been more unable to have a dialogue with someone who has a difference of opinion. We've never been more concerned about things that are happening in our schools, like the things that happened in Galveston this week. Big things that only love can conquer. And we seem to have strayed away from the ability to reach for the Spirit and grab that love because it is all around us as Christians. It infiltrates everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think. And it can be all forms, even romantic love. Friends, the friendly love, all of those things. They all are remarkable and all are a part of God in some way. And all of them are blessed regardless because love is of God and God is love. So we have a unique opportunity now to move away from this place and to get closer in proximity with places where people need to hear the gospel of love and of grace in the world and to know that they are safe and they're cared for, and we want to help with that. We are in a unique position on this Pentecost Sunday to do just like the disciples did, to move in that direction. It's an extraordinary time. We've all been talking about the fact that something's going to happen big in the church. We feel it. We feel like it's coming, the great basement clean-out every 500 years, and we feel like we're in the midst of it, and I believe this is precisely a large part of what that's going to be. The world is in need of healing, of love for one another, for themselves. And we have the unique opportunity to be able to give it to them in the person of Jesus Christ. Not by judging, not by pain, not by anything that is even denotes hatred or anything else, but only, only in love. So last night I was finishing this up about 9 o'clock in my head. And um, as many of you know, one of the things that I do a lot of times is I plug earphones in and music's always playing in the background. And um, a song came on. I know the song, but I hadn't listened to it a lot uh, in the last couple of years. Um, and 
I've sort of been in prayer and saying, you know, I feel like this is where you want me to go. Um, you know, give, give me your spirit and let me know that this is where you want me to go. And then this song comes on, and I find it very interesting. I'm going to read the, the lyrics to you. They're very poetic. Um, so listen to them for a minute. Magnificent, capital M, I was born, I was born to be with you in this space and time. After that and ever after, I haven't had a clue, only to break rhyme. This foolishness can leave a heart black and blue. Only love, love can leave such a mark. Only love can heal such a scar. I was born, I was born to sing for you. I didn't have a choice but to lift you up and sing whatever song you wanted me to. I give you back my voice from the womb. My first cry, it was a joyful noise. Because only love can leave such a mark and only love can heal such a scar. Justified till we die, you and I will magnify. Magnificent, only love can leave such a mark and unite our hearts. Justified until we die, magnificent. This is you too. And, you know, Bono has always talked about his Christianity. And the interesting thing about the jacket notes that I stumbled upon last night from the CD itself is that he makes a very clear deal out of capitalizing the word love everywhere it appears and the magnificent one. All three are capitalized. This is a love letter to the one who has made us, who has given us today his own spirit of wisdom and love to be able to do all things in the world to heal God's people and to give them peace. It's up to us now. So let us go forth in love to do what we can. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.